हेलो पीपल दिस इज अनो इंडिया प्रोडक्शन एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ बियॉन्ड चार मिनार हेलो एवरीवन थैंक्स फॉर ट्यूनिंग इन फॉर दिस एपिसोड ऑफ बियॉन्ड चार मिनार सो टुडे वी आर नॉट इंटरव्यूइंग एनीबॉडी हु इज एल्डरली और सीनियर और समबडी हु हैज सीन टू डिफरेंट वर्ल्ड्स इन हैदराबाद बट समबडी फ्रॉम ओके नॉट माय जनरेशन बट द प्रीवियस जनरेशन आई गेस as some of you know i run the hyderabad history project with sirish sirish is my former colleague from the hindu and who still works for the hindu he is the city editor of hyderabad sirish has released his new book called golconda bagnagar hyderabad the book is available on amazon to buy sirish nanishetty that is s e r i s h space n a n i s e t t i so you can by the book in case you are interested in knowing uh, golconda history from the beginning right up to how things are today the episode today is about sirish's book about sirish about how long it took for him to write his book and also about a lot of other things especially uh, the city's origin and name itself something that most of us have been reading about as children but we still don't know what it is exactly or clearly the name bhagyanagar bagnagar or you know why mohammad kuli qutub shah our founder named the city like that or supposedly why he did it the golconda dynasty or the qutub shahi dynasty which founded hyderabad is 501 years old it was founded by sultan kuli who was a governor of the bahmani empire before the kingdom of golconda was established by him in the year 1518 hence last year 2018 was 500 years of of something called the deccan sultanates one of which was golconda Muhammad Kuli Qutub Shah his grandson founded Hyderabad in the year 1591 so that would make Hyderabad roughly 428 years ago historically we have to see the Golconda fort which used to be a walled city and Hyderabad as two separate places Golconda is much older than the city itself so uh, coming back to the book itself Sirish hi uh, thank you for your interview thank you uh, i noticed that apart from all the other contents in your book the most interesting part is the legend of bhagmati itself which you have surprisingly written about only in the appendix and not of entire chapter as i was expecting it the story of bhagmati is very interesting and intriguing for a lot of people in hyderabad but i feel it's just part of the naming thing it is not a big deal that the story the city was called bhagnagar it was important that the king named of named the city after the woman he loved once when we had a walk one of the persons who came along with us she said she would be happy to know that the city was named after a woman so that was a different perspective so the name of bagnagar and bagmati is very controversial and intriguing for a lot of people in hyderabad but the city itself is very fascinating hyderabad is a very beautiful city it was a planned city even now if you stand in the chaminar and you look around the city radiates in four corners it's perfectly symmetrical in comparison if you go to any other place in the new city wherever you go there is no symmetry there's no logic when sirish says new city you know we hyderabadis don't consider uh, high tech city as hyderabad fii bringing to high tech city uh, like uh, the lake that we now call durgam cheru or silent lake was actually called durgatalab durg is actually a farsi word for fort so this durgatalab became durgam cheru and uh, this water actually supplied to the golconda fort for their all their water needs 
including their hammams, including their lakes, ponds. And near Chamina, there were actually boating facility inside the palaces. Only while doing the research, I did the research for nearly 10 years to find out all these things. And I could find all these things only from foreign libraries, archives, continental maps. And very strangely, if, uh, I'm not very proud of Cyberabad because for the simple reason, Cyberabad releases all its sewage into the Durgam Charu. Whereas when the Golconda or Hyderabad were planned, there is no sewage flowing onto the roads. They had planned the sewage system. Whereas we people didn't plan the sewage system in the 20th century. So one more thing, a lot of your uh, material that you got was from foreign libraries or from foreign, was basically not from here. Why is that the case? And can you tell us a few of your sources that you had to rely on for, you know, to get something that you we, we do not know about from here? See, most of the information till now was used by Harun Khan Sherwani. It was uh, Persian information. Persian information is actually participative information in the sense the people who are writing it were either winners or losers. Like, for example, the Golconda's main entrance is called uh, Banjara Darwaza, but actually it is Banjari Darwaza. The other Darwaza was called Fateh Darwaza. People knew why it is called Fateh Darwaza. Because Aurangzeb's uh, victorious army entered the Golconda fort through that doorway. But I could never find out what was the name, older name of the Darwaza. Actually, it was called Bhagnagar Darwaza. And it was very logical. Because Bhagnagar is the city which uh, Hyderabad is called. It goes towards Bhagnagar. It goes towards Bhagnagar. I found a map which clearly demarcates it as Bhagnagar Darwaza. And the map also gives all the water bodies and even the Nayakila. 1679 map. Oh, which map was this? This is a map uh, from Daniel Havert. Who was he? Who, uh, he stayed in the Golconda kingdom for 12 years and he traveled between Machilipatnam and Golconda. And he is the one who described the murder of uh, Akana and Madana. And he describes the political situation in the Golconda kingdom. This is kingdom. towards Abul Hassan's time. It is towards Abul Hassan. So just for your reference, Abul Hassan was the last Qutub Shahi king from between 1672 to 1687 who was taken captive and Akanna Madanna were... Madanna was his prime minister, Akanna was his chief of army, both of whom were supposedly... or were murdered actually. Were killed. Were killed before or during the war with Aurangzeb? Before the war. It was essentially... They were trying to essentially meet one of the terms and conditions of Aurangzeb to get rid of these two people. Many people think it's the religion which comes into the play. It is not religion. Religion is not the main reason. Madana was a very clever and wily person. Actually, Havert uh, gives him credit for reading text in Farsi, Telugu and other languages. Even if the text, he cannot see the text properly. Even if he can see the inverted text, he can read what is it. Also tell us a little about the Persian influence. In Hyderabad, maybe, you know, even today, contemporary and also for those of you who do not know, Qutub Shahis were Persians who came from what is today Iran. But Hyderabad's core foundation is still seeped in Shia Islam and also in Persian culture. Persian aesthetic language and culture influenced a lot of Hyderabadi culture. We can see it even in the name Biryani. Biryani is a Farsi word. The biryan, that vessel. The fried rice, no? And uh, we have areas which are called Filkhana. Fil is basically an elephant, place where elephants were kept. And many people say Gulzar house. 
It's not actually house. House. It, uh, house. How is a house? How is H-O-U-Z. a? H O U Z. It is a fountain, water fountain. Water fountain. One more thing I wanted to ask you was so this is something even I have not been able to find much information is the food. Did you get anything about Kutub Shah era food? Unfortunately, no. Not much information is there about the kind of food they were eating. The food was barely dis uh, barely described. How, But the kind of drinks these people indulge in, we all know. They had arak. They had uh, Shiraz wine. They even imported Spanish wines, and they brewed a liquor. Because when the Archaeological Survey of India did excavation in nineteen seventy, in nineteen seventy, they discovered a brewery. Brewery means basically uh, how to heat the liquid and uh, filter it and get a high content liquor. These people bought the Jamshed Kuli, Mohammad Kuli, always spoke highly about drinking, and it was always part of their uh, consciousness. They were always conscious about their drinking. Kutub Shahis were orthodox Shia Muslims. They were very religious, or they were religious to some extent. But throughout Indian history, you see Muslim kings anyway drinking. So while also being religious at the same time, how does this work? There are benefits and there are disadvantages. Aurangzeb didn't drink, so he lived very long. Only once he was tempted by some courtesan to drink, and unfortunately she Tarabai? died. Tarabai. Yes, unfortunately she died, and uh, Aurangzeb became even more puritanical. Whereas uh, Muhammad Kuli and uh, Abdullah, they drank, they wrote about it. Jamshed Kuli also writes about drinking. So Jamshed was the second king after Sultan Kuli. He was a son. He was How a son. How did Jamshed die? Jamshed died of cancer. They Not don't that. say cancer, but the symptoms are very accurately described, which surmises into cancer. And cancer is a word which we use now, but hmm. cancer was known to civilizations much before that. Oh. How did Muhammad Kuli die? Uh, Muhammad Kuli Kutub Shah, our founder. How did he die? He died very young. He died in only 40s. when forty-six or something yeah. like that, and uh, he just died after a sh- very short illness of two days. His grandson Abdullah, the sixth king, lasts for a very very long time. Longest, yeah, he ruled for 42. more than forty-two. So coming to your book, you said it took ten years for you to write this book. So how did it start? And also, if I'm just going to ask you plainly, why should a Hyderabadi read your book? We live in a city where, which has a lot of information, lot of like you go to see Chaminar, it's just a building, it's a square square building with something attractive and all that. You bring tourists, you show them this building, so they ask, what is this? You don't know what is it. On top of it, there's a masjid. Below it, there was a fountain. The fountain was fed from water which came some miles distance, and you really don't know the history of the city where you are living. It's very strange. Like I read a book called Island at the Center of the World, so it, this is about New York, and I realized there's so much information they had, and if you see any big cities in the world like Bombay or say Delhi, there are a lot of guidebooks and all. They give information about the city, how people lived. We want to know about the people and all that. Even now, for example, you say Golconda diamonds. You believe uh, diamonds were mined in Golconda? They were not. <laughs> they were mined. They were not. They were mined miles away. They were bought here only because Golconda Fort was a safe place. The diamonds were traded here. Traded here. Okay. Also, why did it take you ten long years to write the book? Because there is very little information, and I'm a working journalist, and the information is highly scattered. Scattered in the sense, the information is not available. If you go to a, any library in Hyderabad, ask them for books on Hyderabad. 
I bet my life you'll get two or three books. She was talking about the public libraries, like state center library. Yeah, any library. Did you travel abroad first? I went abroad, but I didn't find any books there. I didn't spend much time. Archives? Archives, yes. There are a lot of archives. And now, because of online archives, a lot of information is available. And a lot of digitization has happened. The Indian government also digitized a lot of books. They were available. They were available online for a short period. Then the government woke up to copyright and the books have been pulled out from the online. The so how do you access those old books? I now? had downloaded them by that time. So what if somebody wants to access these old sources? How do you have to go to the National Archives? National Archives also doesn't have great amount of information. Okay. A lot of information is in the Dutch libraries, Rick Museum. This is the Netherlands. Yes, because the Dutch were one of the first colonizers, the first people to reach Hyderabad. The first ship to anchor off uh, Machlipatnam was in 1605. And they were there till the, nearly the end. Governor Pitt's embassy comes to Golconda Kingdom in March, April 1687. Even when the Golconda See, Kingdom was surrounded by the Aurangzeb's army. army. Why were the Dutch here? The Dutch came here for trade. Port and the cloth and uh, Golconda Kingdom, which comprised mostly now the parts of Telangana produced artisanal steel, which is called woods, whose technology could not be cracked even now. And it, this was a highly elastic steel. And elastic steel? Elastic. Which, because there was a process where uh, in, it was done in places like Hindur, which is now Nizamabad, and Nirmal, and uh, near Khammam. A lot of these places. So it was a thriving city. These were what would you call artisanal foundries. They would create a foundry, use it, and these people knew the technology to create a batch of iron, process it with certain strange woods, which hmm, we don't know about. And a lot of effort and time was spent in trying to crack the code, but they have not been able to do so. Again, coming to what you said, the Dutch were here, right? So they were here for a long time, early, nearly the entire 17th yes. century. But unlike the British, how come they never conquered or they never tried or they, did they try? They tried in the sense they changed the rules of the game. Earlier, the artisans would produce what they liked. But after the Dutch came, they decided what should be produced. And this taste was decided by the people who were buying the cloth. Europe. Not, not just Europe, even the Southeast Asian countries, which were producing spice. Okay. And in, incidentally, the name, Telugu name for sweet lime is called Batai. Hmm. Batta is actually the old name of Batvia, which we now call Jakarta, the capital of capital of Indonesia. And the same fruit is called Mosambi, which was brought by the Portuguese to the west coast, which is called uh, Mozambique. Sada? Mozambique is linked to Mosambi, whereas Batta is linked to Batvia. Batvia. Interesting, I don't know this. So, why didn't you have a very big public launch of your book? I didn't want a public launch because I am a very private person. I just thought I'll write this book and just release it. My idea was to put all the information in public domain so that people can take it forward. And a lot of rumors, myths, and as a journalist, I must have made many mistakes in my stories because I was ill-informed about the lineage and the period of rule and what was... Like, for example, one of the well-known thing was about the Hussein Sagar Lake receiving the water of Musi. Somebody called Neknam Khan digging a channel from Hussein Sagar Lake, uh, from Musi to Hussein Sagar Lake to bring, because the Hussein Sagar Lake was empty. 
and uh, when i did research i found it's in impossibility yeah. because um, hussein sagar lake is an elevation musi is at a lower level then i discovered actually it is some other lake the lake which is uh, on the southern side of the golconda fort which we now call neknampur cheru neknam khan had to dig a channel to bring the water from musi to the lake but now the lake gets water from all the surrounding colonies the sewage water sewage. and drainage water flows into the lake okay so before the before i forget most likely we will be having sirish's book launch sub again for for the public at lamakan on 7th january so those of you who are interested please come in the evening we'll make sirish a very public person on 7th so now coming again this is the last few parts i definitely wanted to ask you was in the qutubshah history ibrahim qutubshah the third king married bhagirathi and he was in exile when jamshed the second king was in power between 1550 43 and 1550 was bhagirathi mohammad kuli qutub shah's mother number 1 is that is that the case or why has bhagmati thing become such a problematic thing in because in schools we are told that it was bhagyanagar but then we do not told why number 1 the other thing is lot of people don't want to accept it especially because of hk sherwani i've seen his research the book is good but he very vehemently opposes bhagmati bhagmati's existence for that matter about bhagirathi Muhammad Kuli himself says uh, in one of his lines he says i was brought up in the lap of a gracious hindu mother it's very clear that bhagirathi is muhammad kuli's mother and uh, about bagmati also there is lot of evidence there is a painting done in uh, 1650 which shows a marriage procession of muhammad kuli and bagmati and it shows the karwa area with the temple in the background and other structures is it the uh, temple near the purana pul yes besides that there are a lot of maps and mohammad kuli calls her haider pyari and haider mahal was one of the palaces that has been written about and during the course of my research i also discovered there used to be an old bastion inside the golconda fort which is called haideri burj where does the name hyderabad come from finally then because bagmati's name was changed to haider ah, mahal. mahal and then the city's name was changed and even in uh, tarikh e kutub shahi there is a cryptic line after 7 years the name of this town was changed so hyderabad was founded in 1598 but was it bhagmati was it that she was staying in a place called hyder mahal or was she convert to islam we wouldn't know the religious identities were very fluid at that point of time Not many people no, don't even know that the founder of mughal empire babur he escaped to persia he was compelled to change his faith to shiism yes. he he changed then humayun also escaped to that place he changed his faith to shiism even in the qutub shahi era mohammad kuli's son in law was not a very fanatic shia his shiism is very limited during that period of time the festival of prophet muhammad's birthday which was celebrated by lot of shias was not celebrated again only after abdullah, abdullah qutub shah came to the throne this place became highly much more fanatic and sultan mohammad married hayat bakshi on the day of prophet mohammed's birthday wasn't the next king mohammed qutubshah after him that's what so his name was sultan mohammed qutubshah yeah. so very simple mohammed kuli is the fifth king hmm. sultan mohammed qutubshah is the sixth king so he when you say fifth king uh, subhan comes into picture right he was there for 7 months you can't deny the fact but it was de facto ruled by who was it it was a regency yes it the was Prime a regency Minister, right? it was a regency 
by two people for some time and then one man for some other time jagdev rao is the one who tried to engineer a coup okay also can you tell us a little bit about uh, daulat kuli who was imprisoned in the bhongir fort or is there anything that we should know about he is the king who could never be the king because he passed up two three times he was locked up in the bhongir fort there is one story i read that he was known as a mad king if you say divana the meaning ranges from mad to slightly deranged to slightly mentally imbalanced and this label can be stuck to anybody who is inconvenient for the king it doesn't mean he is mad it doesn't mean he is a lunatic he may just be inconvenient for the king and the king didn't want to kill him okay last thing that i want to talk about is the language today what we speak is definitely not purely dakni i was talking to sajjad shahid he told me something very interesting that standardized urdu that we read and write today basically formed only in the late 17th or early 18th century one of the earliest people who wrote that was ahmed wali from gujarat so what i wanted to ask was dakni urdu what was being spoken then how did it form and what is it today the first reference to dakni is in around 1516 where the portuguese traveler duarte barbosa refers to this uh, language spoken in the region as dakni so the earliest reference is that and the language is really sign of the culture of the civilization that was ruling because bahmani sultanate was born in gulbarga but it moved to bidar which is at the crossroads of uh, intersection of multiple languages marathi kannada telugu urdu by the way word the word comes from horde which is uh, army and so these three languages gave a lot of loan words to urdu and the language that evolved is very different from what you might call urdu and this is much older language than urdu the mughal rule began in 1525 we are already speaking dakhani by that time from what i have read is that kadamrao padamrao by nizami is the uh, one of the earliest uh, dakhani works like properly literature dated works i wouldn't know about that i didn't go into that sajjad shahid said after the bahmani sultanate formed late 15th 14th century already some form of dakhani was formed but he said uh, but from what i 15 fifty 1560 is when the proper literature started coming out like you said this is something much older than what we call urdu today today what is the situation after the mughal took over in 1687 after aurangzeb took over what happened to the language and what happened after that today so usually when somebody conquers they <coughs> want to change their language and the nomenclature the golconda kingdom would issue language uh, this fiats in multi language in uh, farsi as well as in telugu and uh, other languages but after the mughal takeover it was just only farsi and the other languages were sidelined once people start looking down on a language the language goes into disuse farsi went into disuse even after the death of uh, salar jang urdu replaced it so language is just a, one part of the identity of the people who are conquering they want to impose that so what we speak is what do you say it's dakni of some part of leftover what dakhani. we speak today is like hardly dakni maybe very few people would be speaking dakni because we have absorbed english words we have absorbed other words and uh, dakni is not many people think just the lilt and the accent is dakni it is a vocabulary which is the key drivers of dakni 
and i think that vocabulary is no longer available with lot of young people because they don't hear the language anymore is there any place in the deccan today as we know it where dakni is still spoken in some form maybe some streets of bidar or some streets of hyderabad gulbarga or some streets in latur dakni might be spoken and a uh, movie industry which produced a movie called angrez and uh, some other movies they use the dakni language but that is also really uh, it's an artifact kind of a thing it's not the real uh, this thing. okay thank you so much sirish thank you for tuning into this episode of suno india and you can hear this podcast on sunoindia.in and other platforms